This month's Where Did the Road Go is brought to you by three amazing people. Super Inframan, Allison Cook, and 36 Dingo. If you want to become a patron or a sponsor, go to wheredidtheroadgo.com. And now our show. Transmission start. Welcome to Where Did the Road Go? Join us as we wander off the path and explore lost history, consciousness, the paranormal, unexplained mysteries, alternative thought, and much more. We are present on the web at wheredidtheroadgo.com. Now here is your host, Soraya. Welcome to this edition of Where Did the Road Go? And tonight, uh, we're going to be doing listener stories, because we haven't done it in a while. And I'm here with Mr. Christopher Ernst. Hey, everyone. I'm Super Inframan. Hello, hello. And, uh, you know, we, we did the 10th anniversary a few weeks ago, um, and, I, and I picked Josh and Red Pill because they've been a part of this for so long. But you two have been, a regular, have been regulars on the show for quite some time now. And, uh, yeah. You have added an enormous amount and uh, just been awesome people to know in general. Wow. Thank you. Ed. Same here. It's, uh, you know, I just do it so I can hang out and talk with my friends. <laughs> I mean, exactly. I'm always amazed you called me back, you know, so thank you for having me. And uh, I, I, I got so tickled when I saw the show, too, uh, for the 10th anniversary. I, I haven't got to listen to it because of the power outages and things, but uh you know, especially when I saw you pull out the the art that RPJ did yeah, with the yeah. that's what I immediately thought of. Yeah, when you did the tenth anniversary, I was like, oh yeah, of course. Yeah, I was like, that's perfect. Because I I, I, decided, I decided I wanted those two, and I'm like, oh, and I have the perfect art. Yeah, exactly. Because he did that, I think, after the first time he, Josh, and I were on. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's written a, a nice article in the Daily Grail about the show too. Since then, oh, oh yeah, cool. oh, that's great. That's good. So yeah, yeah this, well, it's ten years. It's pretty amazing. Ten years without a break. I like to emphasize that because right, most right. shows don't. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I was, you know, like when I started listening to Welcome to Night Vale. You know, they they take they don't take breaks like other podcasts do. They'll take a month break like twice a year or something like that. Mm-hmm. And they're every two weeks, and they've always been every two weeks. So that, that that's where I started with fiction podcasts. But most fiction podcasts, I mean, they'll put out maybe 10 episodes and then you got like a year, year and a half before they're going to do anything else. If they do anything else. And every time I think of doing a fiction podcast, I'm like, I'm already doing so much stuff. Right. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it, it's a, a Herculean feat to say the least, because even when I think about these things, I'm like, all I would ever want to do is like a limited series on something. Yeah. The idea of like finding content and having things to talk about. <laughs> regularly uh yeah you know i can get yeah. bored real quick <laughs> especially if you're doing it as your job too, having to be able to like you know uh or even doing it just because you have fans uh it's being able to keep that up is yeah quite a bit oh my god yeah oh, and, and definitely early on i was kind of like where am i going to get next guests from who am i going to talk to next what, what if you know i can't get anyone because when you're especially in that first year knowing who, who i was and I think mm-hmm. just the fact that I was on radio made a big difference. You know, they were like, mm-hmm. oh, you're actually on FM radio. Yeah, I'll do your show, you know. Yeah. You know, they realized it was going to be professional. So radio's cool. Underground radio's cool, man. True. Um, but, you know, podcasting is so much more convenient. It is. 
It is. Well, po- podcasting is kind of like the new, or it was the new underground radio. Now it's completely mainstream, but that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wish it wasn't quite so mainstream. I mean, it's great that, every, you know, I think everyone should do it and everyone can do it, but it's when the big companies get involved that things start going downhill. Oh, yeah. 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 yeah that, that's its, its own set of challenges and sort of, oh, it starts to sterilize the environment in a certain way. Yeah. You know, and you feel like things are, you can feel things being rolled by committees seeping in. And, they, it's and they, funny. They, they have more money too, so they can advertise yeah. tons on this stuff. Yeah. I, and I, I think that the, you know, you start to see the uh, limitations and, you know, where the, the medium uh, doesn't work too. When it, like I, at least for me, I still think that comedy and paranormal uh, are the two best subjects for podcasting. But that's also what, like, I started listening to. And I feel like some of the earliest podcasts were that, like, paranormal or comedy. Yeah, I don't know if that yeah. was the same, similar thing uh, for you guys. But uh, so now you have podcasts about, like, everything. And it's one of those, I don't know. I don't know if it necessarily having a bunch of people talk about any subject is maybe the right thing. There's certain subjects that I think lend themselves well to it. Um, but, you but- know. It, you know, there's something for everyone out there at this point. Yeah. So at least there's that. Yeah. That's true. It, it certainly goes both ways because there's so much content that if you want to find somebody talking about a specific thing, like you probably can now, which is great. Uh, they may not talk about it the way you want to. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's true. Yeah. All right. I do like the fact that it's more like uh, radio going back to, you know, listening to yeah. – uh, fireside uh uh theater you know or what what was the the fireside chats with uh fdr by the you know mm. the radio i mean i do i do like some of the serious horror uh audio fictions mm. um yeah because some of them like, like but even some of the really good horror fictions have comedy mixed i think i think you need yeah. it almost to make it really good well, you yeah. know archive 81 was fairly serious but there was some really funny stuff mixed in there there was there in, was. in, in its yeah. ludicrous ridiculous sort of way right well and that's like the best like horror movies too always have that like horror comedy vibe yeah. in there somewhere without being a flat-out comedy in a horror right. setting you know mm-hmm. so all right so listener stories uh let's see um this one yeah this i'm not sure what country they're in but uh it says uh, the how did they want me to refer to them? It does not say, and I also can. I'm going to massacre their name if I say it. All right. Uh, the event in question happened one summer midday in Spain in the early 1990s. It was an extremely hot day, as is common. In order to avoid heat stroke, you really can't do much else in 45 to 48 degree temperatures. That's why I say they're in another country because that's cold in Fahrenheit. Um, I don't know what 45 to 48 is Fahrenheit wise. That'd be pretty, uh, 45 oh, to Celsius? Celsius. Yeah. Is warm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's, that's, that's like a uh, hundred plus. Okay. My mother was having a siesta with my very young brother who was then around two years old. She had been asleep for a while and awoke calmly without moving her body or head. As her eyes took the ro- took in the room, she saw a tall figure standing by the foot of the bed. This male person was extremely tall, perhaps around seven feet or more, was of delicate thin build and wore what appeared to be a long white robe. My mother said that the robe had a square design, the blue line that encompassed the neck and a blue line that encompassed the neck area. His hair was blonde and curly, the face of a youth no more than 20, 
But what she remembered more than anything else was his facial expression. She described it as being one of satisfaction, love, and warmth, in the same way one might look at a child or a puppy. Becoming more awake without fear but surprised, my mother sat up quickly and extended her hand toward him, wanting to ask him who he was, but before she could do so, he vanished. Perhaps the most interesting part for me was in the way in which he left the room, because it was extremely strange. The lower half of his body appeared to dissolve, almost as an aspirin might do in water, and this effect traveled up his body, dissolving it too, and once he was just dust or particles, those went out the window in sort of a line. The entire process happened in a matter of seconds. He was effectively exited that room feet first, or at least the particles that made up his lower body went out first. I've always thought to myself that this description is that of a classic angel, but the manner of the apparition's exit seemed to hint at some sort of solid nature and not a ghost which would have presumably just faded away. This being, however, whatever it was, traveled somewhere in a specific direction. That's really interesting. I mean, the the visuals of that, uh, the way in which they, uh, you know, disappeared or uh, 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 sort of deconstructed uh, uh, themselves. Yeah. I mean, yeah, It's it sounds like uh, an angel. I, I'd be curious if there is any significance culturally to like the, the colors of the robe, maybe, if that mm. was a particular thing. Um, but again, you also have to remember it's a depiction or a thought, you know, of an angel that is influenced by, you know, West or European art, um, right. too. Uh, but yeah, the, the way in which it, I, I'm wondering from the way it's described, I, I can't tell if there was like an unnatural angularity to the way that it was moving, like it was, you know, on a, a telegraph wire, or if it was more like, you know, I'm thinking of like I don't know the 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 Thanos snap and how people right. like dust oh, in yeah. that way. Yeah, yeah. That, I, I kind of was thinking like dust, but you know the the other thing of that that is uh, and this is silly, but just like the transporter effect in Star Trek. But the yes, information, yes. you know, literally you're seeing the information being blown out the window or whisked out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is uh, yeah, it's interesting. Um, but you know, one thing I would throw out there too, if we're talking about entities that are holographic in nature. Maybe those are like little fractally things going out. I don't know. Well, it, it sounds like when it starts, it sounds like a sleep paralysis experience. Right. I mean, because she was awake, but she couldn't really move. Right, right. And, uh, but that, you know, saying a sleep paralysis doesn't dismiss it as a real event. It's just, you know, that it seems like maybe she was more perceptible to it in the sleep paralysis. But then she was able to move, and that's when it dissolved and, and went out the window, which is, I mean, you, you can't yeah. you can't completely throw out the sleep paralysis thing, but that feeling that right. she had and everything else, I think, you know, it, it has meaning there. Yeah. yeah. Well, it, and I mean, to your point, you, you can't throw it out. You know, sleep paralysis is such a liminal state. That, exactly. You know, it, it, it seems like you might have more perceptions there or something like this. Um, but yeah, it certainly does sound cherubesque with the the locks of the hair and, and all of that like if you know somebody in my family had had that experience they would have thought it was an angel you know yeah. i mean it, it's just Absolutely. how it would have gone yep yep uh all right so uh let's see which one are we going to do next let's let's go with the ghost dog I love ghost animals um and i've had a number of experiences with ghost ghost pets myself so now he wanted to be uh, relayed as, oh, where's it? where is it? TD, TDT Skunk Works. He's on uh, Instagram. 
And he f- specifically says he follows both myself and you, Super Inframan. That's correct. I recognize the name. Um, he's a listener from Scotland. And he said, uh, okay. In March 2021, we lost our beloved beagle, Bella, to aggressive spleen cancer. She was aged 14. Weeks later, we brought we bought a house in another part of the country, and our old beagle, Alfie, came with us, as did Bella's ash, ashes, kerchief, and lead and harness, still on the back of the door with her wee winter jacket. After, after This would sound so much better if I had a Scottish accident. Accent. Scottish accident. <laughs> okay, words are just doing great today. All right. <laughs> Um, after much debate and what we went through to get this house, we firmly believe losing Bella was the price we paid for it. Our time together has always been, um, our time together has always been, we need to pay something extra pain for pleasure. Over the next few months, I worked from home in the spare bedroom. I saw her a few times. It was heartbreaking and there was no feeling of hate, only love, just a wee, hiya, I'm okay, fleeting views, but very welcome views. I swithered on telling my wife and eventually did, and she was upset that she hadn't seen her, possibly as Bella was mine and Alfie was my wife's, the logical thinking. Um, My wife is like me and has also seen a few ghosts, which she can't explain. Forward to June 2022, no sign of Bella for a while, and we're getting on with life. Alfie is now 15.5 years old and and still going up hills and taking big walks, and they're not a bother to him. Him and Bella were companions since he was six months old. The Wednesday before Alfie left us, something surreal happened. I was in the shower, and the toilet door pushed open. I looked down through the glass, expecting Alfie in for a nosy, but nope, it was Lemon Beagle Bella wagging her way in, and then she disappeared. I burst into tears and crumpled in the shower. My wife came rushing in, and I explained what I had seen, and she just held me. The wee cow had returned. That Sunday, Alfie collapsed and couldn't breathe. We rushed him to the emergency vet. They scanned him, said he had a heart tumor, and it was only a matter of time. We did the right thing, and I won't go into details, but twice in 15 months was hard enough. We picked up his ashes and put them beside hers, and they'll be scattered together at some point when the time is right. We also spoke about Bella returning to, to say to Alfie it was time to join her. I know it sounds weird as they're animals, they were part of, but they were part of the family, and it comforts us. I don't know what's beyond us, but I hope they're with their friends and at peace. I would love to say that was it, but since his passing, roughly 9.30 and 10.30 p.m. every night, you can hear either or either both or Alfie jump off the bed onto the floor. We just look up at the ceiling and say hello because the bedroom is above the lounge. I hope it continues. Um, he says, thanks. Thanks for reading. I know it's probably a daft wee story, but I think it's worth telling. Not only humans can be ghosts, but also animals. Um, I also know I sound mental trying to describe the events, but I can stipulate I was no, not, not drinking or on drugs or these, and these no. apparitions happen during daylight hours. Yeah, it doesn't sound crazy at all to me. No, no, not at all. No, not at all. Uh, the first thing I would say is don't feel like you traded the dog for anything. Right. Uh, yeah, I don't. You know, we, we talk about this with magic and I even we talked about this before the show where sometimes I feel like certain uh, like sigils and things cost stuff. But I don't think with the way animals work or the way I believe about them that y- they would be used in that way, um, particularly companion animals like dogs and cats. You know, I, I think there's a lot of lessons in why they exist alongside of us. Um, and I think a lot of it's to remind us of what our better natures could be. Um, 
I've got a friend that's a pastor, you know, totally, I mean, like old school, but, you know, a uh, Southern pastor. But he has this thing where he'll talk about, you know, in, in his view, when Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden, uh, dogs and cats stayed loyal to humans and mm. God allowed them to, to like keep them safe as they were going out of the garden into, you know, the harsh wilderness. And uh, even though that's not, you know, my faith, I always thought that was really interesting yeah. and comforting in a lot of ways. And uh, anyway, I, I think dogs uh, and cats, you know, they'll stay around you forever. They really will. Um, you know, I, I know you both got stories. The a quick one I'll throw out is uh, I had a chihuahua growing up and uh, he Passed away after I'd had him for about 12 years, I think. But I would still feel him sleeping on my bed for like five years after that. Uh, you know, where I would just like instinctually like fill him up against the back of my leg. And like I would move to make sure I didn't disturb him. And then I wouldn't realize I did that till the next morning. It'd be like, oh, gosh. Anyway. Yeah. 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 I mean, I've, yeah. Go ahead. No, I was just I was just agreeing. Go ahead. I mean, I've had experiences with almost all of my dead pets, at least in the last 10, 15 years or so, where they, they felt like they were still around in some cases, you know, felt it mutually with someone like the exact same thing. Uh, I think the more striking one was the, uh, when the last dog passed away, uh, my one tiger cat, Jack used to have always, always looked at the dog a specific way. Like he'd walk into the room and the dog would move and he'd give the dog this look. And it's not like he didn't like the dog, but I think he was just like, what are you doing? Why are you moving? You know? And it would just be this this glance that he never looked at anything else like that. And uh, after we put the dog to sleep, he, um, you know, I felt like the dog was in the room with us. And I said something to my girlfriend at the time, and she went, "Oh, I don't, I don't feel anything." And then Jack walked into the room, and right where I said, "I feel like the dog's right there," Jack stopped and gave that space that look. Oh, cool! Yeah. And she just started. My girlfriend just started crying, and I was like, "Okay, yeah. that's kind of confirmation now, isn't it?" Right. Yeah, it really is. Uh, dogs and dogs and cats are wonderful, you know, they, yeah. they really are. I mean, I think that, you know, the way at least I sort of look at things based on, uh, <laughs> at least, uh, what I know as of now, which is not that much. I think that when you look at different creatures, uh, you know, non-human creatures, I think that there's a pretty good argument to be made or to suppose that there's. They're having a similar um, experience uh, that, that we are and that they have some sort of energetic or subtle, you know, body that corresponds to theirs. Um, and I yeah. think this is something that, you know, at least what I've, you know, uh, uh, um, sort of sussed out or heard from a lot of the material that I learned growing up is that there's, you know, this evolutionary, uh, spiritual evolution that's going along, uh, that's, uh, you know, the same parallel to the physical evolution, uh, that happens, you know, to some degree, not necessarily Darwinian evolution, uh, specifically, but similar to that. And this, you know, progression of forms and that, um, you know, I, I think that we're probably sharing that with certain types of, you know, or can share that with certain types of animals, even if they have their own, you know, um, places and spheres and planes that they exist on. I think, especially if you have a, a close connection. And I also don't think that, you know, space and time really exist when you're in, you know, on the other side. So I can very much imagine that having 
I haven't for personally experienced that with any of my pets, but um, I also am kind of like paranormal kryptonite, as another person says. Uh, and I, I think, but I think that you know that could happen at any time. So you know, uh, uh, the the animal showing up, or the the was it the not the basset hound? It was a was it basset hound, or was it a beagle that yeah. was showing up for uh, Alfie, the other one? I can see that relationship between them. You know, uh, like. If one, you know, soul or however you want to call it is there to sort of help the other one as a psychopomp, um, all of these things I think are completely possible and not silly in any way. I think it's, you know, uh, another part of, of living that if you recognize it, it, it makes things a little bit larger and richer. So that's great. They shared it. Oh yeah. You know, I'm going to add on to that, uh, Chris, because, you know, looking at this just from a a classic, uh, evolutionary sense, having dogs with us was one of the first things that kind of gave us a leg up if we're going to go with the, the tradition. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. And so, you know, that was the other reason I kind of love that uh, pastor's view of things, because it's like when we were, you know, when we were living in caves, when we were hunter gatherers, you know, uh, these animals were beside us and working with us. And so that relationship, you know, uh, now it, it looks like uh, a sweet pet on the floor, laying on the rug, you know, in the living room, keeping his company. But that's probably the oldest relationship that exists uh, for us in terms of something kind of symbiotic like that. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, dogs yeah. feel responsible for us. Yep. Uh, and, and cats, too. And so, I mean, it would not shock me that, uh, you know, uh, Bella would show up to be like, okay, I'm going to come and make sure Alfie gets escorted fine, you know, to where we need to be. And uh, we'll be around if you need this kind of thing. And uh, I've specifically heard that dogs and uh, cats and uh, crows and ravens, corvids, um, that they have, you know, what could be called, you know, insight and they can, you know, essentially see uh, spirit, you know, spirit realm that they they're beneficial to have, in fact, uh, around during, um, you know, uh, uh, when somebody passes because mm-hmm. they can't act as psychopomps. I mean, you hear this, the mm-hmm. you know, t- the Tichichi dog, um, you know, from uh, Mesoamerica is one specific one, but a uh, lot of the crow or the raven is a psychopomp is a big one too. Sorry to interject, but oh no, no, that's great, yeah. that's perfect. I, I would like to say that whereas dogs watch out for us, cats make sure we do what they want them to us to. <laughs> yes, that's true. Well, you got to have the hierarchy. It's cat, yeah. us, dog. Yes, yes. Yeah. Cats are waiting for their the return of uh you know their formal worship exactly rather than casual worship. All right, so this this is a, a collection of stories here. I don't think. Pretty sure none of these we've talked. I know those those were newer stories. I have a few older ones that I they're in the section of my notes that have not been we haven't read yet. The problem is I read them, and then when I go, you know, when they've been sitting in the notes for a little bit, I go to look at them again and go, "Oh, it's familiar," but I think it's because I read it, not because I read it on the air. So I think this is one. I'm pretty sure we yeah. have not dealt with this one yet. Uh, this one comes from okay. Peter, and he says, uh, and, and he lists them sort of in uh, chronological order. Late 1980s, early 1990s in Brockton, Massachusetts. I really can't remember this as I would have been four or five years old at the time, but my parents have repeatedly told me that I would tell them about a man who lived in my closet that I would have full conversations with. They to- they said I told them he looked like Jesus. So that's interesting. Um, early 2005. Fiction. Okay, okay. 
Did you want to well, comment on that? I was just going to say shout out to Brockton, Mass. Um, oh. uh, yeah, I, I, <laughs> I grew up near there. Um, it's somewhat near the uh, uh, the Bridgewater Triangle. Oh, um, okay. But yeah, I don't know. Uh, uh, that's that's the only thing I really have to say about that. But Jesus, I mean, wow. So I would be curious. Uh, was he the uh, uh, Renaissance? You know, right? Uh, Which version? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Or, Which or Jesus? What? Yeah, because the super ripped Jesus. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, he doesn't remember it, so he's he's okay. just saying his parents yeah. told him he he did this all the time. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. So early 2005, Fitchburg State Russell Towers. Uh, even though this happened over 16 years ago, there are still some nights I'm afraid to go to sleep. This was okay. my first experience with sleep paralysis, and I can still remember it like it happened yesterday. It was my second year of college, but my first semester at Fitchburg as I had transferred from Bridgewater, there you go, halfway through the year. I was still living in the dorms at this point and had only one other roommate. I had gone to sleep around 10 or 11 as I was still making friends and not too big on the party scene quite yet. I remember being woken up by what sounded like an old school intercom. Slowly opening my eyes, I could see that it was still dark out, but there was enough light to make out my roommate's bed and sleeping form and the two desks in the room. Everything looked normal, but then when I tried to get up, I realized I, I realized it was anything but. I had tried to sit up, but I couldn't move. I couldn't even move my head to look at the desk clock to my right. All I could do was use my eyes to scan the room. While I was trying to do all this, there was a weird droning coming from an invisible intercom. It was in a language that didn't sound human, and I couldn't make out anything intelligible but I could discern that the sound was coming from the corner of the room by the ceiling over the doorway. Mm. Even though I was unable to make out any words or even the language, whatever was being said had a truly negative vibe to it. It was almost okay. commanding and evil. I was really starting to freak out at this point and was trying as hard as I could to move to make enough noise to wake my roommate. The more I struggled, however, the more paralyzed I felt. It was like the blanket on top of me was infinitely heavy but without the force to crush my body, I tried to shut the terrifying intercom voice out of my ears and remember doing something similar to Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz when she repeats there's no place like home over and over, but it was more, please fall back asleep. I don't remember anything else except waking up to the dawning light and being able to move as I would any other morning. But some nights I still remember this and I don't want to go to sleep for fear of waking up paralyzed and in terror. Yeah, that's really. Was this the same person that was uh, had the Brockton thing? Yes. This. Yeah. This. Oh, was, okay. These right, are a few from Peter. He has a uh, five or yeah, six of them here. They're all in the same area in Massachusetts, or yeah. they're not in the same area, but they're all in Massachusetts. That's really scary. I mean, I I don't know in terms of um, and what you guys might know this in terms of uh, sleep paralysis is audio or sound. Is that a big? Comp I mean, I'm aware of like the crone and all those tropes, but is yeah. audio or sound part of it? Uh, buzzing sometimes. Okay. All right. the, the one time I heard a metallic voice, um, I was waking up and sort of in like a state of sleep paralysis too. Um, <laughs> but but it wasn't anything negative like this. It just sounded like yeah. a robotic voice in the background briefly, yeah. um, but not sinister, you know. Yeah. And then then it was gone, and I could move. Um, but I, I truly think that was probably just sleep paralysis. Right. Um, but the elements here are, uh, they're unsettling. I, I, I totally understand why that would be. Yeah, for sure. Yep. <laughs> um, um, okay. So the, the next interesting, go ahead, sir. Oh, go, next, go ahead, next one's 2000, summer, 2006 Cedar street apartment, <clears throat> Fitchburg, Massachusetts. 
Uh, this is a short one, but no less weird. My first apartment had the weirdest layout. It was one long hallway from the front entrance all the way through the kitchen to the back with all the bedrooms off to the side. My room was right at the front, so if I exited my room and looked left, I'd be looking down about 30 feet of hallway. Directly right, my room, directly right of my room door was the door to the outside. Um, I was home alone, and as was usually the case, as my two roommates and I had alternating course schedules, it was late morning, still before noon, and I decided to play some Guitar Hero before my class at 1. I got dressed, left my room, and turned the corner to go down the hallway what passed, to what passed as a living room. When I saw a black shadow cross from the basement door and disappear behind the wall of the living room. It had the shape of a cat, but it didn't have defined edges, like really black smoke in the shape of a cat. It did a complete 180, grabbed, I did a complete 180, grabbed my keys, left the apartment without ever looking back. <laughs> I walked around until about one, my 1 p.m. class and then went back after I knew the roommates would be back. I told them what had happened and they mentioned they had also seen shadows moving across the hall from time to time. Oh, wow. I be, I mean, they had, he had, they had the uh, address. Uh, I'd be curious as to what the um, history of the building is. Mm. It sounds like an old railroad style. I um, wonder if it's a really old uh, uh, building there, because there are some old buildings there in that that part of the the area, uh, that part of Massachusetts, that area. Huh. Um, and shad and I've seen small shadow like things that look like they would be animals. Um, I've talked about that before. I used to see them all the time in the spring, in particular. Uh, well, I'd be driving, and they'd dart across the road. But they yeah, ever it's, it's really interesting that's in the spring. I guess yeah. I didn't realize that. Huh. huh. I never thought that being seasonal, but you know that that makes. I, I uh, always just assume they were nature spirits, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah exactly. I, sounds like a very Miyazaki thing. Mm, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> All right, so yes, two more, I think. Here, uh, August twenty eighteen in New Hampshire. So let me preface this by saying that I live in an old house. It was estimated to be built in seventeen ninety. Needless to say, we get the occasional mouse in our cellar and even our walls. My wife and I have done a ton of work to keep the rodents out, but still, every now and then, we'll hear some scratching in the walls. While it is annoying, we have mostly gotten used to it. This case was most certainly not mice or scratching, and when the memory crosses my mind, I still get freaked out. It was early evening in August of 2018. I wish I had written it down after it happened, so I knew a precise date, but when things like this happen, I tend to just want to forget them. Anyway, my wife and I were sitting on the couch watching TV, and all of a sudden, the living room erupted into what sounded like a mix between knocking and scratching. The messed up thing is it wasn't contained to just one wall, like the times we hear a mouse. It was on all the walls at once. Try to imagine 20 or so people inside your walls and ceiling all knocking at once. That's the best way I can describe it, and it lasted for about 5 to 10 seconds and then just suddenly stopped. My wife and I looked at each other and basically just shrugged it off, saying something like, that's some crazy wind. I have never forgotten it, however, and it's really the only major paranormal thing to happen in our house in the five years we've been there. Hmm. That, that's interesting. Um, Chris, were you about to say something? Go ahead. Oh, no. I mean, go ahead first. I, you know, I'll... I don't, I don't have anything specific. I was just thinking, um, you know, in, with an old house like that, uh, I was just thinking, it's sort of funny to myself that, you know, it can either be that it's a really old house and so it's making a lot of noises or it's haunted. Either or one. Haunted, yeah. yeah. Both will produce, you know, both could be. Yeah. You know, so is there any kind of fault activity around there? Do you know? I don't know. No, I have no Not idea. unless it's, uh, I mean, where in New Hampshire, did they say specifically where? Mm, let me see. Hang on. 
No, it just says New Hampshire. Okay. Yeah. Every once in a while, I've never had this happen, but uh, I've heard about like micro trimmers. And that's kind of like the house settling or something like that. And there's just a plate somewhere shifting nearby. And it's, it's, it looks weird um, because everything just kind of trembles. And it's not exaggerated, but it's, it it feels like it looks like the room's oscillating or something. And so, I mean, there there are sometimes like little ones in New Hampshire. Yeah. Mm hmm. But it's not a major fault it, line. It doesn't. It doesn't sound earthquake like to me. Right. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it sounds poltergeisty to me, honestly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It would also be interesting to know what was going on in their life at the time. Yeah. That's what I really wanted to know. To see if yeah, it was a liminal was period, if it was a stressful first thing period. That in my head, totally. Yeah. Um, so and he says it's the only real paranormal thing to happen in the house. Um, I've been, so in upstate New York where there's a fault line nearby, but it's a very minor fault line. Every once in a while we get a very minor earthquake. Um, like one day I was, I'm literally standing in my room and I had, you know, an old school CRT. This was in the early two thousands, I think. And the CRT just started shaking. And that's the only reason I knew something was going on. And I'm looking at it going, why are you? I'm like, oh, it's an earthquake. Huh? <laughs> Cause it was right, just, yeah. it was just that, squeaking, yeah. you know? And I'm yeah. like, why are you squeaking? And then I noticed yeah. everything was just moving just a little bit. It's like, oh, it's an earthquake. Uh, when I was in fifth grade and still living on Long Island, we had one while I was in class. Yeah. And, like, it was a little little more, I mean, still tiny, tiny earthquake by, you know, the standards of people who get real earthquakes. Uh, mm-hmm. But everything shook for 30 seconds or so. And, like, I remember yep. in class, we were all joking around, oh, it was an earthquake. And it turns out it was an earthquake. Yeah. <laughs> I had a, I felt there was a minor one that happened in New York when I was uh, working in Manhattan. And I was, like, on the... 30th floor of a skyscraper in the middle of Times Square was that wasn't fun that that I, I was say, like why is my de- why is my desk uh, yeah that was one of the, the the guy who had the office next to me he went out and bought a parachute the next day that he kept <laughs> in his office he still might have it there to this day I don't know I'm not sure how much I, that's going to help that but I also appreciate that uh, yeah that's what I told him too he, I guess he thought he could base jump or something right? yeah yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> All right. So the last part of this is a, <clears throat> a Vardoga ex- Vardoger experience. When I lived with my parents, I had a room in the basement, which had a window that looked right out into the driveway and the stairs leading into the mudroom. The windows were really thick in that distorted way that when you look through them, really thick, kind of. Oh, man, let me try that sentence all over again. The windows were the really thick kind that distorted what you see through them. There we go. I had more than a dozen occurrences where I would hear a car pull up and park, doors open and shut, and hear feet on the stairs. But I went upstairs, uh, no one would be home, and there were no cars in the driveway. This happened dozens of times while in high school and my early college years. really hasn't happened since until recently. In my first home, I uh, I bought with my wife. It's only happened a couple times, but I'll hear a car pull into the driveway and even hear the door to the house open and shut. But when I run downstairs or enter the kitchen from the living room, no one is home and the door is still locked. Most interesting thing to me about that is that they hear the car. Yeah. uh, Which is, I mean, I don't know, you know, obviously phenomena adapt and the Vardoger being an older sort of... uh, idea maybe the cars weren't around then but the fact that there is a car it you know you think either about the phenomena adapting or you know what else could this be but that's that's pretty interesting yeah 
Yeah, I mean, Var- otherwise, it sounds like it. Though, isn't is the Vardogra specifically, and not that we really need to parse uh, definitions, but that is, isn't it usually that that uh, it pre presages somebody yes. doing the same thing? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's okay, like yeah, I was. I get confused about that, so I'm glad you said that because I was like, I know it's kind of deja vu-y, but not yeah. exactly. It's like if you were, yeah. It's like if you see somebody walking down the hallway. And then five minutes later, they walk down the hallway in the exact same way. And you say, I just saw you do that. And they're like, yeah. no. Yeah. yeah. It's mm-hmm. usually more audio based, but it does happen with visual stuff as okay. well. Okay. Uh, yeah. It is more audio based. Yeah. Anyway. And I forget what the exact translation is. I believe the word Swedish. Right. Yeah. Well, regardless of what actual type of thing this is, the phenomenon this person is experiencing, that's, I find it really interesting that the car door uh, you know, so and just being that such 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 a modern thing, but it's incorporated into this uh, is is neat. Yeah, well, I mean, if if it's this, he, he doesn't specify if it's the sounds he normally would hear, like when say his wife or his parents got home or anything like that. Yeah, that that's kind of what I was wondering, sir. Yeah, wondering, it, right. How familiar was the sound uh, to him? Uh, yeah, that's interesting because. You know, it, I think I've had that happen to me, but I also assume that could just be sounds outside. But even my dogs will react because they think, you know, my wife's pulled into the driveway. Right, uh, right. You know, but we live in a neighborhood that's busy, too. So uh, who knows? But uh, it, it would be interesting uh, to see or if it was a familiar sound or if it was like, oh, it sounded like a Model T or something like a really old car. Right, right. right. Yeah. You know? Yeah, well, you usually know. Yeah, you usually know what you or your spouse or whoever you live with, what that sound is like. That's that's a good point, yeah. Yeah, interesting. All right, so this next one actually comes from a friend of mine, uh, Brooke. And uh, she said, one of the most notable experiences that happened to me personally was back when I was 17. An important factor in this story is that my grandmother lived next door to us on the same property. She lived and died there. My sister, mom, stepdad, and I were getting ready to go out shopping for the day. My stepdad was out looking under the hood of our van. My mother was in the house still. Uh, My sister and I walked side by side talking. All of a sudden, I heard an old rotary phone ringing. Now, thanks to my parents being over 60, I knew this would sound very well, as we used to have one. It wasn't the ring of our new phone, and we don't have neighbors close enough for it to be anywhere else but my grandmother's abandoned trailer. It was a dead ringer for a rotary phone. It rang three times. It's, I stopped in my steps and listened to each ring. My sister has stopped too. My sister has stopped, but I was too frozen to notice. I teared up because I knew it was coming from, from where it was coming from and knew who was on the other end of this line. My sister looked at me and she said, that's grandma's phone. I said, I know. She told me to run and get mom, so I did. I got my mom and told her what had happened. She went into my grandmother's trailer and picked up the phone. Now, a thing to note about this phone is that it was disconnected years ago. Not only that, but dismembered. It was torn apart a decade before for the parts for my uh, for parts by my uncle. It couldn't ring in or out. It couldn't function, but it did. My stepdad heard it ring as well. Uh, we who were outside heard it re- heard it clear as day. To this day, I get chills thinking about this event. Wow! My mother told my mother told me how after my grandmother died, she kept the electricity going as my elder brother and sister liked to stay over at my grandmother's trailer. They eventually got creeped out staying over there and came back home. My mom would turn off the lights and the TV and shut the doors. Every day, the lights would be on, the TV would be on, and the doors would be wide open. 
every yeah. few hours they would come back on after being off. It got to the point my stepdad was too scared to go over there at night and turn off the lights, so he would he left them on. Uh, eventually, mm-hmm. my mother could not afford to keep the lights on, so she had the power cut. Despite the lights not turning on, the doors still opened by themselves. Even as a child growing up, they still opened, and I would shut them unknowingly, unknowing why they, they did what they did. We eventually propped heavy items against them to keep them shut. I've always felt scared of my grandmother's trailer. I always felt hunted, like I was prey. My mother told me when I was older about how my grandmother, when my grandmother was dying, she wasn't herself. She had an evil vibe to her, and she was scared of her own mother in those moments, how her eyes were dark and she spoke in riddles. I avoid her trailer at all costs. Oh, man. Now, Now, it's not to say my grandmother's spirit is evil. Uh, As a young teen, I would go hang laundry on the clothesline, and I would sense someone walking around me. Nobody was there, but it was warm and friendly. It unsettled me only because I couldn't see the person. I told my mom, and she smiled. She told me, that's your grandma. Her favorite thing to do when she was alive was to hang hang out the laundry and listen to the birds chirp. So now I say hello to my grandmother and never feel afraid. Um, I often hear voices, people talking. I was cooking one morning and heard two women talking, one older one and one younger one. I went outside and nobody was to be seen and I was home alone. There was no one in the fields by my house, no neighbors, nothing but me and the wind. But the voices were still there and I believe there is a thin veil where I live and I'm hearing conversations past. It's the only logical explanation. As a, as a child, I remember frolicking with puppies and coming across my mom and sister looking inside my grandmother's trailer. I was too young to understand. As I got older, they explained to me that they heard grandma call my name or call my mom's name, and both of them heard it from separate rooms. They didn't find anything or hear anything else when investigating, but it stuck in my mind like a sore thumb. Mm-hmm. Huh. Wow. You know, uh, the, the grandmother acting strange. I, I do wonder if sometimes, like, you know, the subtle body or, or whatever we want to refer to that as, like, sometimes I think that leaves before the body dies. And uh, huh. something else could have moved in and mm. or you've just got remnants of what was left running around in the brain kind of acting out oddly. But sure. you know, the person, the the essence of that person is not there anymore. And I wonder if that was what was giving the... Uh, not only the grandmother acting weird as she got older, but also some of the bad vibes inside of the, uh, uh, trailer. trailer yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. That's what I was wondering about. I mean, I was wondering if there was anything that, you know, uh, trauma or sort of unresolved. And I yeah. guess probably there's no way to figure this out that the grandmother had, because at least in my, you know, limited, uh, uh understanding and cosmology that I've thrown together, uh, it seems as though, uh, the, that there really is a correlation between trauma and there being some sort of something that is, that, that happens afterwards, you know, uh-huh, uh, uh-huh. like if it's a violent death, uh, if it's uh-huh. a sudden death, if it's a suicide, that all of these seem to be, you know, more likely than not, these are going to be behind uh, these sort of traditional hauntings that mm-hmm. people see. So, you know, I don't know. I mean, maybe that's not the case, but it could have been something. And, you know, the grandmother is like, there's this idea that, you know, if you don't quite know how or if you're still hanging on to things, 
you know, uh, too much that you kind of like can't get through the bardo, you know, and mm-hmm. you, uh, you're, you're too attached to the material objects or places or things that are happening, you know, in the world, like this person still owes me money. And if it was an obsession of yours, that something like that really can kind of keep your consciousness in some way anchored, uh, and that that's it's in many ways of your own devising, whether, you know, be it, it, you know, you could be not responsible for the trauma or not, but it's your it's your own sort of obsession with something, the individual's own obsession, which keeps them there. And mm-hmm. it's very much going to be focused then on whatever that traumatic event is. So even if, you know, this person had in general this lovely uh, uh, personality otherwise it could be that if they're hanging on to something they're obsessed with that that's really what uh, manifests in you know whatever the spirit is you know so you made me think of something right? um, because you know sometimes we talk about these things like being records that replay in different areas too mm, yeah. as an analogy yep, like, yep. I, I've never heard of this but it would be interesting to hear back from this listener or, or other people if they've you know, like if this is two aspects of the same person remaining, and if you were out by the clothesline, that was where the happy stuff happened, uh, versus inside the trailer. So yeah, yeah, where you encountered, uh, you know, this impression, uh, you're encountering yeah. a different uh, version of it. But you know, when we tell yeah. ghost stories or we talk about it, we say, oh, it's oh, it's just haunted by you know uh, my grandfather or something like that, and and he was a troubled man. But it's almost like two hauntings. Uh, one's a, a happy haunting and one is a, uh, a traumatic haunting. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So this next one might be from the same person, but I can't remember. And I didn't note it. Uh, so I'm just going to read it. Um, my sister has a lot of health issues. Uh, Marfan's blood clots, brain tumor. Her teeth rotted out and her eyesight is going. She only has a couple of years left to live currently. A couple of years back, I stayed over at her house because her health had declined a lot. We feared the worst. She was sitting in the kitchen chair, staring off into the distance. Her eyes were blackened a bit, dull, distant, like she really wasn't there. Like how death looks. The look I've seen a hundred times. I held her hands and cried and told her I'm right here and if she needed to go, she could. And that I would catch her and take her care of her daughter. I wanted her to feel relief, whatever it would be. I started petting the top of her head. And up to this point, she was dead silent until she spoke up. I can see your hands. I said, what? Your hands. I can see them touching my head. I asked her how this could be, and she told me, I'm not in my body fully. I'm trying to get back in. It scared the hell out of me, but I believed her. I had no choice but to believe her. Uh, It reminded me of the thing she had told me for a while, that in her sleep, she would come out of her body and wander downstairs, and she would harvest energy from the refrigerator, TV, any idle electronic that contained energy. She collected as much as she could all night long and then went back upstairs and tried to force herself back into her body as she needed a lot of energy to do it. She said this was almost a nightly routine. At the time, I assumed it was her tumor pushing against her brain and causing her to be a little delirious. But after a while, her fridge had to be replaced, the TV too, because they stopped working uh, suddenly. I always thought the correlation was weird and started believing her a little bit more. Until that day, I was a bit doubtful, but now I trust her completely. I never felt such fear to believe my big sister was dying, but then to hear that sentence, it brought chills to my bones, deep in my very being. Um, I ended up grabbing some batteries from a drawer and putting them in her hands, and shortly after, her eyes came back. 
They had a little bit of life again. She told me it helped her. She couldn't because she couldn't walk around and collect energy that she was stuck in the in-between. Nowadays, I tend to believe everything. Nothing is out of this realm. I've had weird stuff happen to me all my life, but passed it off as normal. Uh, but as I've told people these phenomena, they say it isn't normal, that maybe I need to see a therapist, which is not the case. No, um, no. I know no, what I no, see no. in here, so I'm glad I found this group, which reaffirms a lot of the things I've seen. Okay, so this wasn't from my friend. I forget who this was from, but I didn't note it. Yeah. So, yeah. That's... Uh, yeah. You know, Soraya, the taking the energy from the electronics, like, I just kept thinking of Kundalini the whole yeah, time. Yeah, And, uh... <clears throat> you know, I wonder if you're, you're getting older and, you know, you're, you're like we we're saying, like I was saying a second ago, you're kind of untethered in a way. And yeah. so you you can go around and do that to sort of like, okay, I got to get myself back in. This will help me kind of get a little bit more energized and I, I feel better going back into my body. Well, uh, I mean, ele- cool. electricity, like I, I have heard it being described in the way the sort of analogy that's used is that it's the... It's uh, the shadow of, or in particular, it's the seventh shadow, uh, you know, of uh, like the real energy, like, you know, the prana, the, you know, the, the cosmic, you know, uh, electricity. Uh, And so I I wonder if, you know, that is something that somebody could do is if they, even if they had some sort of latent ability, if they were able to like, convert that you know from being electrical energy into you know life energy pranic energy what they whatever they needed uh to go that's i I certainly believe that the the idea of being able to inhabit your body and speak through it and yet at the same time see yourself you know i've experienced that personally um and that it, it can happen you know um so i think that but i think all of these things too and i don't know if the person would be listening to this uh but it these these as far as i you know have have been told and sort of reaffirmed through studying some stuff uh it seems to me as if this is a natural part uh of of being a human it's just rare (laughs) you know uh and some people have it and i think personally i think it does have to do with some sort of other evolution that's going on with us, you know, and not to say that some people are chosen or star seeds or any of that bullshit. I think that's, you know, uh, it, it's not like that though. I think that it's, it's something else that is, you know, more natural and more like understandable in the way that we see things happening in nature. Uh, you know, but I don't think that it's, it's anything to, to feel ashamed of that you need mental help. No, uh, no, not, not at all. Yeah, not at all. And, and, and I'm with you. Like I, I've started to just decide that, like, as long as you uh, had the room in your life for the paranormal or fringe or occult or whatever we want to call these things, yeah, uh, you know, as long as you have room for it, like, the the experiences will come, and then your room for it will get bigger. Yes, uh, you know, uh, and I think there's a lot to that, and the fact that all of these experiences are always so personal in some way or other. Yeah. Um, I, I think that, you know, it, it's kind of like giving yourself work to work through. It, it's not anything to do with mental health at all. Although right. it can affect your mental health if you let yourself. Right. I, and I think that, you know, mental health is, is very important. But I think it's this idea of there being some, some like this idea of normalcy. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. when, when you get down to common sense, I think that, you know, uh, or at least I believe that you can 
really pretty easily through common sense parse out what is mental what we're really talking mental health which is people's you know emotions and you know their mind and you know uh perhaps there's something that is physiologically wrong with it and then there are these you know these strange or anomalous or meaningful experiences that we've been taught at least in western society uh that these you know to be laughed at and that's it's silly and, you know, yeah. I, I think that, you know, oftentimes people who are religious will have, uh, will be more open to it, but it'll unfortunately be couched, particularly in the United States, in this sort of, you know, uh, uh, Christian, you know, demon versus demon uh, dialectic. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I think it's an unfortunate side effect of the scientific method becoming this kind of religion that people have shame about these things and that... They really should, you know. Um, yeah, I, I really like uh, Chris how you uh, touched on the difference between being, you know, mentally healthy versus what's considered normal. Yes, and and yeah, and because if you're functioning fine every day, you can get up and do the things that you need to do. You can have healthy relationships with people and yourself. Like you, your mental health is good. Yes, uh, you know, there's nothing wrong with you. Yes. Uh, you know, this idea that we all have to be whatever normal is, is, is a box, you know, that's yeah, not correct. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a social construct that's based upon trying to, you know, create a class of workers uh, (laughs) or soldiers, you know? Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Exactly. And really, I mean, if you haven't had, or you haven't recognized yourself having a weird experience, um, you may think someone having it's just making it up or they're crazy or whatever because you haven't had that experience. It's hard for most people to to really understand things they haven't experienced. It's just the way our brains work. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's a really good point. Yeah. So if you're surrounded by people who have never had these experiences and you tell them about them, yeah, they're going to be like, oh, you're just, you need to see a therapist, you know, rather than yeah. if, if it seemed to be downing their life in some way. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I wish there were more. Th- I mean, at, at the point in which therapy can actually, you know, uh, uh, go back to sort of its roots and accept uh, these anomalous things. Like I wish for all his limitations and foibles, I wish that maybe Jung had been, you know, instead of Freud, the one that yes, like all of psychology, you know, a lot of was, was based upon. Um be interesting i don't know you know because there is that acceptance and i at least myself in in, you know for my own mental health there have been you know times when i'm like god you know i wish there was a psychiatrist you know that was uh uh that i could see that would you know where i could talk to them about uh all the stuff that i talk about on this this show (laughs) and it could be you know considered rational and you know integrated into talking about you know emotions and uh in relationships with your parents and whatever else. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, I, I always enjoy talking about this sort of thing, too, because uh, my dad was a really down-to-earth, normal guy and never had a strange experience happen to him in his entire life. Uh, I mean, just he, he just, you know, it's kind of like you were joking about being paranormal kryptonite. Like, you know, that was my dad. Uh, but my mom, you know, had a near-death experience before I was born. And, you know, the, all the, the family tales of weird stuff that had happened that I, I've shared on the show at different times. You know, and, and my dad just kind of, like, took it in stride because, like, oh, that's just, you know, that's my wife and that's my son and mm-hmm. that's how these things work. Uh, and it, 
I, I get a, a, a sort of chuckle looking back at like what that must have been like for him to look at us having not had any of those experiences yeah, yeah. and just being like, ah, yeah, you know, they, they do stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. Let's take a quick break and we'll be back in uh, a minute or so. So if you have a story you'd like to share for a future edition of listener story show, Email it to stories at com, And that link is also on the website, wheredidtheroadgo.com, uh, as is everything else. Uh, general communication, contact at wheredtheroadgo.com, but uh, all our social media, uh, Discord, everything is linked at wheredtheroadgo.com, including our Patreon. And if you want to help us out and help keep the show going, $3 a month is uh, all I'm asking for the basic Patreon fee. You get extra stuff almost every single week, and uh, it helps us out a great deal. All right, recommendations. I'm going to go with an obvious one this week, uh, and that's Strange Familiars. If you're not familiar with Strange Familiars, um, it is Timothy Renner's show and has been going since uh, the beginning of 2017. And uh, Tim and I are actually going to be doing something hopefully kind of cool here coming up. We're going to be working on some live interactive shows that we're going to do together um, and we'll alternate probably our YouTube channels or something like that. We're still working out the, the kinks on that one, but um, yeah, nevertheless, it will be a live show. And if it's successful, we'll keep doing them. Um, it will not take the place of either of our normal shows. It's just going to be something extra uh, that we work on together. So hopefully that'll be coming up very, very soon. And again, if you haven't checked out strange familiars, it's dark folklore and uh, a lot of uh, listener stories, actually. So, I mean, if you like that type of stuff, um, go check it out if you haven't already. Oh, and also, check out The Last Exit for the Lost, my music show, if you're into heavy or dark music. That's weekly. Um, there's an archive on the website that goes back a very long time. So, if you like that type of music, check it out, because I play stuff you're not going to hear anywhere else. And we have live performances as well. All right, back to the show. So this is a listener story edition of Where Did the Road Go? And uh, have a couple more I think we can fit in here before the end of the show. I'm here with Christopher Ernst and Super Inframan, sometimes known as Saxon. Sometimes known as Saxon. Sometimes. <laughs> so this is, this is a hat man story. About yes. eight to ten years ago, I wasn't in the best place. I was working too much, not sleeping enough, and in a weird, and in a weird thing with a creepy, dysfunctional girl. The kind that keeps you coming back like a hit of something uh, to get right. Don't judge. Most of us have been there. Eerie things happened. At work, while setting up for tattoos, I'd catch a shadowy, vaguely human shapes in my peripheral vision. They, or it, seemed to watch lurking behind my, beside my station. I'd turn for a clear look, and they'd dissolve. I'd seen similar, similar shadows years before. After being awake too long, behaving badly, and putting drugs up my face. It's the first time I've heard it phrased like that, drugs up my face. Um, <laughs> the new experiences were different. I was sober and rested. I worked alone. And at the end of a long shift, hunched over making scabs, I was beat. Home sounded good, but I had an appointment in a few hours. If I left, I would be hard, it would be hard to motivate myself to go back to work, so I decided to relax in the back room of the shop. The back room is storage, bookshelves, the beloved coffee pot, and a couch. I kicked off my boots, shut the lights, and laid down. Darkness and exhaustion brought on a quick, almost deathly deep sleep. Then, becoming slightly conscious, I knew the alarm hadn't gone off, but I needed to get up. 
I'd never been so tired and weak, like the worst jet lag combined with a world-class hangover and the flu. It seemed my bones were tied down and made of concrete. Lead filled my veins. After a cloudy-headed struggle pushing off the couch, I fell into the wall. uh, Failing and turning, I stumbled face-first into the closet door. As I hit the door, I was instantly shocked awake on the couch. My eyes fixed on a shadow of a tall, cloaked figure with a top hat. Blacker than an ex's heart, the silhouette stood over me, peering down. Shocked, I reached for my pistol. The form disappeared. What the F? Really awake, I got up, had coffee, and unlocked the shop for my appointment. Years later, friends were telling weird stories around a fire on Halloween as I relayed the appointment or relayed the tale with the dramatic gesticulations. Oh man, I can't say the word. Gesticulations. A buddy spoke up. Oh, you've seen him too, he said. What do you, what do you mean, I asked. He said, dude, that's, that's a thing. He's called the hat man. Uh, there's old documentary on YouTube, a book, and even some lady trademarked the name, which I didn't know. I didn't um, know that either. <laughs> I've been into the paranormal since childhood and had a few experiences over the years, but this was a new one to me. Now, the shadows seem to be on most corners of the internet, uh, but I haven't seen them again yet. The strangest part is thinking that I was awake and bumping into the wall and door. I rarely dream, or if so, they're not remembered. Uh, was it some kind of botched OBE, a semi-sleep paralysis ordeal? Does that happen? A hypnopompic hallucination? I'm fairly level-headed and not given into seeing things or making them up for amusement. It's something I still wonder about occasionally. If there's anyone out there that has feedback or maybe a similar story, I'd like to hear it. I can be messaged on the IG machine at rev, R-E-V dot Joshua James underscore tattoo. So I have actually had an experience that's pretty similar to this. Um, when I was 23, I lived in a, a rent house that's probably, I don't know, maybe a mile from where I live now. And uh, I, I, I was in a, a weird place with my girlfriend and uh, was just having a, a horrible year. But I would have times where I would have sleep paralysis and there would be a shadow person in my bedroom and I would like struggle to move, think that I'm getting out of bed to like deal with this thing. And then I would be back in bed waking up. And uh, it it was really uncomfortable and really unsettling. It made it hard to sleep. And uh, my solution to it, you know, this is back in the old MSN chat room days and stuff like that. Um, I talked to some people there and basically they're like, well, you know, these things are feeding off of your your fear or your anxiety and your stress. And uh, but they're only, you know, the, the only power they have is what you give them. And so my solution when this would happen is I would get angry and I would imagine them setting on fire <laughs> and that mm. seemed to work and they wouldn't bother me again for a couple months. Mm-hmm. Uh, once I moved out of that house, I will say I also got in a much better position with everything else too. They stopped. Um, so I always have a really negative opinion of like shadow people and mine was not a hat man. It was a shadow man, you know, being the difference there to me is that the silhouette just looked like a head. Um, but you know, some people will talk about them being much more neutral or, or something like that. But I really think that if you're putting out a lot of, uh, stressful energy, these things are going to show up and be parasites. Yeah, there was a, uh, and I know that there are many things that we could talk about and have an entire show that are problematic about Carlos Castaneda, but this was popularized. They, uh, this idea very, very uh, similar, if not almost exactly the way that this person described it, 
are what's called the flyers. Um, uh, he, he described them, and they're essentially these, you know, uh, parasitic, archonic entities that uh, are, you know, feeding on, um, uh, yeah, feeding on emotions. And they're, it's like these sort of black shapes you can just see out of the corner of your eye. Uh, but it's, it's, it's become, like this person said, a theme that, you know, people see. And whether or not, you know, they existed before people started talking about them or people started talking about them and they started existing who knows? I don't know if it matters, but it seems to be something that, yeah, definitely is happening out there. Um, hmm. See, I, I, my experiences haven't all been negative with shadows, so I, I yeah. don't, I don't yeah. fully feel that way. Um, it, it certainly it, can be, and I think people perceive negativity as dark. You know, so right, so right. so if your brain yeah. has to put a face on something, it's going to put. You know, if it picks up something negative. It's yeah. more likely to give it a dark countenance than, you know, that of an angelic being or something like right. that. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, and, and to add to that, uh, the house that uh, we lived in till I was about six, that's where we always saw the shadow person at the end of the hallway that kind of looked like he was made out of like black charcoal or something. Mm -hmm. And that was around, but it was never, um, you know, it, it wasn't sinister. It wasn't something that you were afraid of more so they just saw it. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I think that does lean to not all shadow people or shadow beings are the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe. Well, I think, I think they're all things that we can't quite perceive as they are. Right. So, um, and you know, it, there's also a sleep paralysis aspect to this. Um, yes. Because he was, he was so exhausted and stressed. He was at a, a liminal point in his life. He was stressed out and he was exhausted. And so yeah. then he lays down somewhere different, and then he has this experience, which you know may may have been an actual entity uh, interacting with him because yeah. he was putting out so much energy, uh, and the deep sleep that he fell right into could have put him in the right state of mind to actually interact for a moment. Right, and that also is the same same type of state that you would you know have for an OBE. So yeah, you know, I mean, he said like a bot botched or aborted, but I wouldn't think of it in that way. I think. It just that was an OBE, you know, it's just and a it clumsy was, one. Yeah, maybe just a clumsy one, right? Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> I, I'd be curious how, because you know, he's talking about how hard it was to move. That was a, a feeling I had too, where you know, just trying to roll over and move toward the thing or away yeah. from the thing was really, really difficult. Um, I'm trying to think of something to compare it to, but I'm coming up with really bad, like dream cliches, like being stuck in sand, and and that's not correct. <laughs> no, I, I, it's it. Well, there's a particular, I think, at least for me in my dreams, there's a particular feeling of that slowness. It's like when somebody's, you know, running after you in a dream, yeah, and you can't yeah. run away. You're, it's like, yeah, there's that yeah, particular, yeah. which I think is something that can only be experienced in that, you know, whatever that state is. Yeah, you're mm. you're trying to run, but you're running in like through thick water or something. Yeah. yeah. Yes, exactly. All right. I think we have time for this one. It's a little bit longer and it's a follow-up. So uh, he says, hello, I figured three years later I may wa want to update on my situation from the story I sent three years ago, January 2019. Um, so this guy, if I remember right, this guy was in France. He had a very depressing story. Um, if you recall, I'm the person that wrote about hearing noises and eventually a voice in my apartment calling out to me, uh, and Sue's a bu bunch more weirdness. And if you don't recall, then you may really just remember me as the oversharing depressed train wreck. <laughs> it's pretty cringe worthy looking back, but let's get on with it. You also had two others on while you read it. I don't recall who it was though. It might've been you two. 
It probably was. Um, it was a pretty dark time. I was just about to drop out of university and things generally sucked. I went back to home, back home to live with my parent, wasted two years of mostly being a shut-in, still with depression. During that period, the only spooky happenings uh, were that I heard was a voice like, see his English is not quite right here, uh, like a voice talking to me in my ear, my right ear, which was laying flat against the bed. I've had that exact same thing happen. Mm -hmm. Yep. It again was gibberish. I couldn't make out what it was, but it was really so close to my ear that it was basically in my ear, and it felt like it originated from a single point of origin, so not like a human voice where you can distinguish between which parts of the mouth produce which noise, uh, and all the mechanics involved, like vibration from the vocal cords, depth of the lungs, etc. Basically, it was as if a 1D dot was speaking to me. No idea what to make of that. It's an interesting way of describing it. That's a really cool way of describing it, too. I mean, it makes me think of, you know, holographic universe theory and yeah. information, you know. Uh -huh. uh, yeah, I, 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 I don't think that's too far off. It's got some something tracks about that, yeah. On, oh, on one night, I saw while being half awake, half asleep, just drifting in and out, a shadow figure. Here we go with shadow figures again. Um, standing over my mattress where I was that I was laying on, on my back. And it looked like it was looking down at me from my left side and hunched over me. The room was dark, but it was darker. I was also reading Liber Lilith at some point because I was getting more into esoteric things. And that night when I went to sleep, as I, as I woke up in the morning, I had the light streaming in from a window. And when I opened my eyes, I was staring at my sandals on the floor. There was a big red translucent-looking spider on those sandals, moving slowly over to me in a typical way that spiders move, thin red limbs up and down with their ends slowly crawling over the surface of the sandals. I remember that it was like an element taken from a waking dream, and that if I was waking up while my eyes were open, because I was completely conscious of it, like phasing out of reality or something, I was conscious in the moment of my mind quickly but gradually ceasing to perceive it like the way a dream slips away. So I guess he means it was it was there, but as he was waking up, it seemed to go translucent and disappear. Mm, okay, yeah. Okay, yeah. That uh, day I looked up the meaning of spiders across all sites. It seems they mostly pertain to spiritual illumination, but also danger. I dropped the book altogether because I figured that was... The general gist I was getting was one of mild menace and uncertainty. So at this point, really, the quickest explanation is that I'm just crazy. And we've already <laughs> covered this. Probably not. Uh, but I don't really feel crazy. How can a crazy person know that they're crazy? Because there's been nothing else that points me to having a psychiatric disorder, not counting depression, I guess. I like to think that my thinking is controlled and that I am moderated and introspective in the way I think. I suppose the only way for someone to make that out is to observe the way I write things and come to their own conclusions. But still, I am well aware of what it sounds like. Hallucinations, hearing voices, well, it gets better. At some point, I started treating my depression and it's orbiting toxic darkness like a parasite, like an invader and like a foreign entity. Things got stranger then. I felt more and more like something was always in the background. At some point, there may have been something I could not see that was around me. Over the span of a week, this intensified, but I'm not convinced that it's a tulpa. Eventually, it reached a certain level where I would look behind me, and then one night at like 5 a.m., something happened. It started as a small bunch of weak noises. They were a series of knocks or the natural noise that one can expect wood to make like on its own. Knocks here and there, only in one corner of the room. 
I was just sitting in the corner of the room and looked up, and the noise became louder and more frequent. Then it felt like something that isn't easy to describe. It was like something was softly burning inside of me, or I was being drained. It was not really comfortable. It was as if I was fighting something, like there was a tug of war going on, but with the air or whatever was in the corner of that room. At no point was anything abnormal visible. It lasted just a few minutes, then it subsided. And what a silence that was. Then it, then I was like, well, it's 5 a.m., nothing planned tomorrow, but I should sleep. For some reason, an energy parasite just made sense. On the next day, all of this was going through my head, and for the first time in months, I felt a consistent emotion of determined anger. Anger in an almost joyful way. I was happy to be in the fight. After all these years, or all these years, and I was pissed, I remember it cussing out in my head, calling it all, I cussing it out in my head, calling it all sorts of things. The night uh-huh. was growing closer, and I planned to stay up late and catch it. Uh, during the evening, as I went downstairs and felt followed again, I was still being a joyous brat, metaphorically spitting in its face, and being bold and mostly unfearing, I guess. It was dark out already. And uh, the night had set in. I went into the kitchen to make something to eat. At some point, I just whipped my head to the right, and there was nothing there. Well, on an instinctive level, I felt like there was, but it's kind of like when someone's hiding behind something and jump up to scare you, except there was nothing. But I still reacted. Okay, I went, and I went back to my room. Uh, But on that night, it was fast. 11 p.m., and it was just there. I was in slight disbelief as I heard the knocks and noises again in the corner of the room and the intensity or weight in the air increase. I knew what was coming. However, at that point, I got up, threw everything from the center of the room to the side, and performed LB, LBRP, uh, Lesser Banishing Ritual of the Pentagram. Uh, like an idiot, one would argue, I messed up one of the names and screwed up one sign of the enterer to the south. I didn't visualize enough, but I did it. And as I finished, I felt as if something was ripped away from me, like a growth got ripped away and the flesh under it was tender but fresh. Yeah, I felt fresh and relieved and slightly weak, a weird sensation. I was not drained of energy that night, I think. Eventually, I went back to sleep. Some days later, I did the lesser banishing ritual again, a bit more correctly this time, then fell really sick with what was probably uh, uh, COVID, even though I tested negative. I thought about it again. Do you remember that I talked about the one experience where I had heard a disembodied voice talk absolute gibberish for 10 to 20 seconds in a chimney back when I was a kid? Behind that wall where where I heard the knocks, inside of the wall is the chimney. Oh, interesting. Now, I'm mostly free. Maybe some think that I was an utter idiot to do magic just like that when I should have gone through all kinds of initiations, but well... My depression, as strange as it is, is like 60 to 80, for like 60 to 80% has just gone away. I don't feel terrible anymore. I don't hate myself as much as I used to. Back when I got out of college as a dropout, I still went through like a year and a half of that. Maybe COVID. I personally doubt that because my life didn't change very much, whether or not I was confined or free. Uh, placebo, maybe. I doubt that. Not even with what happened. I feel much better now, like I'm released from something. I still live with uh, most of the issues I have in my life, but it's not, and it's not like I feel great or just good, but I don't feel terrible. I feel like my emotions are finally mine. Mm-hmm. I wanted to continue on the path of magic. Last time I did some, thanked, did some, I thanked all the quadrant archangels with utter sincerity and had a little monologue. 
but now I don't know where to go. I'm terrible at visualization. Can it really be magic is magical? Uh, sounds cheesy. I want to do more, but I don't get it. Uh, like, for example, so magic is the infusing of will into the fabric of reality to obtain results. Yes. But isn't that just doing something? If you have willpower, can't you just do that thing? I think I don't understand the world well enough. I think because I have lived badly sheltered and isolated life. Although things are now possibly looking up. What else is there? I am really, a, am I really allowed to be happy? I want to believe. I want to just hope. So, um, to me, first of all, magic, uh, I mean, the way I look at magic is that you affect change with your unconscious mind. Magic is the way that you con that you communicate with that unconscious part of yourself. Um, yeah. And beyond that, it almost sounds like he was able to take and externalize some of the negativity that had built up inside of him. It sounds yeah. like it to me, too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which is great. I mean, the, the, you were able to do that. Like, if, if it worked, it worked. It doesn't really kind of matter how it got there. Exactly. Um, yeah. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. It, I Go ahead, Sarah. Oh, and again, he's, you know, he's worried that he's sounding crazy, but I mean, so many people have experiences just like this. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. They, they don't talk about them because they're afraid they yeah. sound crazy. I mean, our, our criteria for crazy is very materialistic. It is. It is. Mm -hmm. And there are so many, like, I think, modes of thinking that are based upon assumptions, you know, of, you know, normalcy or whatever, or even, you know. Uh, this person mentioned uh, several, you know, uh, uh, sort of magical or ceremonial magical rites. You know, I think ceremonial magic is great and it's absolutely effective for a lot of people. But I think if it starts becoming something that you feel is too prescriptive or limiting for you or you're worried about doing things, you know, in the wrong way and getting in trouble or, you know, anything that smacks of that kind of authority, I would, you know, uh, take a look at sort of the practice and, and you know, say, all right, well, you know, is this, do I really need to uh, adhere my life to this, assuming that it's the only or right way to do things? I don't know if that right. made any sense. But, it did. Um, no, it makes perfect sense, yeah. yeah. And that's yeah. how I got into chaos magic without even realizing it was chaos magic. Right? right. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. I was like, I don't like all this ceremonial stuff. I mean, if this stuff works, I should be able to strip away all the trappings, the, the, the ritual stuff, and be like, okay, if I can put myself in the right state of mind, shouldn't this stuff still work? Yeah. And it turns yeah. out, yes, it does. And I think, I think that you're right, too, that, uh, you know, this is, there's, I forget what you said there, like about, you know, three minutes ago about uh, <laughs> what, um, uh, uh, how, I, I guess, uh, that magic is like the unconscious or, you know, there being something about, uh, you know, the, your higher Commu self. Communicating the, with I, it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, communicating with it. And I, so I do think that, you know, um, uh, uh, the 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 like the personal uh, changes that can come out of it. If this this that really worked for you, uh, you know whatever. Even if you said something, you know, uh, in a particular wrong way, I don't know. At the same time, somebody like I don't know if Ren were here, he would talk about how effective it's been for him to work with ceremonial magic. So I think it depends on the person, you know. Uh, uh, yeah. Oh yeah. And I, I, and Octavian well, as well likes the ceremonial approach. Octavian, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I'm very much more on the chaos side, too, because that's what works for me and where I feel comfortable playing, too. And it, 
somewhere in there, you know, with what you're talking about, Soraya, with like your relationship to your subconscious or your, your you know, communicating with your higher self, the, the way I kind of phrase that beyond intentionality is magic is the relationship of your intentionality with everything around you. You know, I, I can decide that I'm going to get up early every day and that's willpower, right? But when reality around me starts responding to whatever, uh, you know, sigil magic I've done or something like that, that's when it kind of changes from being an intention that I have for myself that I'm just living out as an action to yeah. that communication and relationship with what's you know all around you, I guess. I think that, that magic is uh, it's slowly doing some set of things. It depends on the person that remind you that you're connected to everything. Uh, and that I don't mean connected in some like, you know, oh, we're all connected, man. I mean, like, you are connected. Like, yeah. there is, it is almost as if we are, there actually, everything is coming. It's sprouting. We're like, it's like hairs on the head of a single thing like yeah, that yeah, yeah. connected, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and the more you realize that I think you the better you get at magic. Like the more you, tr and I, tr I mean, truly realize it in the same way that like when you wake up in the morning, you know, you know that, uh, you're you and the sun, the sun is out and that you're breathing, you know, in that sort of, you know, really internalized way, which is what makes magic very hard. I think because, Everything right now is sort of screaming in our face to go the other direction. Yeah. You know, our culture, the way we are, we're forced to live. Yeah. Now, if you're, if you're hearing voices that are telling you to hurt yourself or hurt other people, yeah. well, then, then, and the thing is, those voices might be real, but you shouldn't listen to them. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, and yes, there are people who have, you know, schizophrenia where they're hearing things that aren't there that don't seem to have any sources. But even that, you know, there have been newer treatments of schizophrenia where they have the, the person experiencing it actually communicate with the voices rather than medicating yeah. them out of existence. Yeah. Right, uh, so, right. that, you know, it's hard to say. I mean, okay. So from a materialistic viewpoint, it's easy to say those voices aren't real. Yep. But, but from an, an intellectually honest viewpoint of we don't really know what any of this is or where the real boundaries are. I mean, those voices might be real. They might not be trying to help you. Um, you know, like I said, you, you probably shouldn't listen to them if they're telling you to hurt yourself or whatever or right. anyone else, but it doesn't mean they're not real. We don't know. We don't yeah. know where this stuff comes from. We don't. And, and you know, at the end of the day, if it's having an effect on you, then it's real. You know, it's real. Yeah. 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 There you go. It may not be a demon, but it's still real. If it's giving you negative, you know, you can call it a demon or you could do what, what this guy did, which sounds like he kind of just externalized it and fought it. And, 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 mm -hmm. Without realizing, and I think that was sort of an inter, inter, uh, an externalized inner battle that that he seems to have won to some degree. Yeah, man, how cool! And, and maybe someday we'll get to a point where people will feel more comfortable actually being themselves and not having the world try to fit them into certain boxes here and there. Because really, I mean, people should be free to be themselves and not worry about what, if other people approve of them or not. You know, and there's such yeah. a strong like, oh, you have to fit in, you have to, and it's it's ridiculous because we're all individuals. None of us yeah. are the same, yeah. and we should be happy about that. I mean, instead of being like, oh, you're weird because you had this weird experience, you know? You need to see a therapist because you had this weird thing happen to you, or you were, you know, 
uh, had a more interesting life because you had this weird thing happen to you. Right, right, yeah. So, all right, we're out of time. Uh, Chris, where can people find you? You can find my stuff at uh, brightrectangle.com or uh, Amazon Prime or uh, Troma Now. Okay. And uh, if people want to talk to you, Mr. Super Inframan? Uh, I'm mostly on Instagram these days. So if you look up Super Inframan, I should come up and I've got Saxon in my profile. Okay. Oh, and I'm on Facebook too, Saxon Williams. And, and you hang Super around the Instagram. Discord occasionally. And I do hang out the Discord occasionally too. That's correct. All right. And of course, if you have a story you want us to talk about on the air, send it to stories at wheredotheroadgo.com. I thank everyone for submitting these. And some of these were actually really well written. So yeah. I was very impressed with yeah, some of that. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, but even if you can't write well, just send us the story. We like, we like to hear your experiences. And we're almost certainly not going to think you're crazy. Absolutely not. All right. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. I'd like to give a shout out here. To all of my Patreons, and a special shout out to those of you pledging $10 or more. Billuminati, Chuck Shutters, Leanne Cherry, Allison Cook, Super Inframan, 36 Dingo, CJ, Tim, Andrew Nichols, Matthew Sproul, Christine, a blue second gen MR2 drifting around a Japanese mountain, Patricia Gaiaquinta, Alex Whitcomb, American Rambler, Andrew Maines, Ann Witowski, Barbara Fisher, Beverly Williamson, Big Boy Limina, Charles Davis, Charles in Florida, Land of the Crazy Incommunicable, Chris, Chris Sisternos, Craig Parmenter, Diane B, MTK, Eric Todd, J, J Otto Bullet, James Lattimore, James Lindsay, John Bracken, Carla Mahoney, Kevin, Kevin Shrek, Cool Kitty, Kristen L, Laser Printer Jam, Lauren McLean, Linz Jackson K, Luke Osborne, MJ Armstrong, Jim and Sophie, Mark Brady, Matt in Delaware, Mr. Weird, Ole Andre Olar, Patricia W., Paul Jeffries, Philosopher of Mirrors, Ray Benedetto, Riker and Stark, Ron Dupre, Sam Sharon, Seed Person One, Stacy Sherwood, Tactical Therapist, Taylor Bell, Thunderboy, Tyler Glimstead, Varoche K., Vincent Trewell, Walker, Will Gebhard, Will Powell, and Ren Collier. Thank you all so very much. You help make this show possible. There is a Patreon segment that goes along with this. If you're a Patreon, you will get that uh, in the next few days. If you want to become a patron, it's only $3. Helps us out immensely. So if you like the show, that's one way to support us. And you get extra content almost every week, sometimes more than once. Of course, there's also merch on the website at wheredtheroadgo.com. And of course, spreading the word, grading us on whatever podcatcher you're listening to us on, uh, reviewing us, stuff like that. Everything helps. Spread the word and uh, and thank you. And speaking of patrons, I want to welcome Madeline J, a new patron for this week. And coming up next week, uh, I'm going to be talking to Travis Watson about not his new book, because he just put a new one out, but his previous book, which is about basically cryptids in Canada. It's a really good book and a good conversation that's actually going to span a two-part show. So that's coming up. We're going to take you out with a band called Marble. I love this record. Um, I saw this band once back in 1994. They opened for uh, some other local bands that I knew, and I uh, got their CD from them. It's called Liquid. It's kind of obscure. They never went anywhere, but the CD is excellent. So I'm going to play you a song from it. I think you can still find copies floating around here and there. Uh, the song's called Terrified One, and I will see you next time. 
have been listening to Where Did the Road Go? This show is made possible in part from our Patreons, and we thank you and everyone listening for helping us continue this exploration of the strange. You can always find everything Where Did the Road Go related at www.wheredidtheroadgo.com. And thank you so much for your support. <laughs>